If you would remain standing at this time and open up with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14. 2 Corinthians 5, 14. And as you're turning there, I, I just want to remind us that we are about to read the word of God over our lives. That it is powerful, that it has had power for 2,000 years, and it continues to have power over our lives today. So we're going to read this together as a family, and we're going to believe it this morning. And if you don't have a Bible with you, it'll be on the screen behind me as well. So 2 Corinthians 5, starting at verse 14. It says, For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died, and therefore all have died. And he died, meaning Jesus, for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. And all this is from God, who through Jesus Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses or their sins against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. You can be seated at this time. Well, I want to welcome you guys here this morning to White Oak. It was a rainy day. I don't think it's raining anymore, so I'm happy about that. Uh, My name is James Yandel. I'm one of the pastors here at this church. And uh, a few weekends ago, I want to share a story. A few weekends ago, I I went to go see a movie called Guardians of the Galaxy 2. Has anyone seen this movie? Uh, People like that movie. It's a good movie. Um, I saw the first one, so I wanted to go see the second one, right? And uh, if if I'm honest, um, I don't really like movies. I feel like it's a long commitment for me, like two hours. I don't like to get in the car with people and go drive to the movies and go do the whole thing. But I thought it it was a good enough movie, so we're going to go check it out. So I went with a couple of friends of mine, and and we carpooled, and we go to Tinseltown. It's not the best theater in the world, but it's not the worst theater, right? We go to Tinseltown, and uh, we get in line, not a very long line, and we get inside, and you know, the, the smell of the popcorn hits you, right? And I don't go to the movies that often, and I know you're not supposed to get uh, popcorn, but I, I go forward, and I'm waiting in line, and, and we get to the front, and it turns out that, like, the popcorn and the drink was, like, 1350 right? Like 1350 that's like double the price of the ticket. It just amazed me how much it was, right? But we get in there, and, and we're finally going, and I went with two other friends, and two of us had seen the, movie, seen the first movie, right? So we knew what was going on. And one of my friends had not seen the first one, and so we're trying to explain it a little bit to him, right? And so we're like, you know, th- this is what the movie's about, but you get tired of doing that, right? So finally, we're like, it, it's a family movie. Just enjoy it, right? So we get in there, and it's not his fault, but my friend sitting next to me started asking me some questions about the movie, right? Like, who's the raccoon guy? Right, you know, who's the raccoon guy? And then he's like, well, what's up with the blue guy? And I have to explain, you know, the blue guy, he doesn't understand sarcasm, and he comes from a different planet, and he speaks his mind, and all that kind of stuff. And, and then I had to explain who Groot was, right? So he's a baby dancing tree. You may have seen this on, like, YouTube if you haven't seen the movie. And so you have to explain, well, in the first one, he was like a big tree, and he didn't dance, but he dances in this one. And so I had to explain all these things to him. But I, I thought to my friend, it probably was not as enjoyable as it was to us, 
house because he had not seen the first movie, right? He didn't understand the whole plot. And uh, us pastors, we are really, really good at connecting things to the Bible. So as I'm sitting there, it made me think about the fact that some people go through life without really understanding the big overall picture, right? Like some people go through life and they look at all their different spheres of life, like home life and private life and work life and, and uh, all these different things. I think, man, all these different things seem to compete against each other sometimes, right? And even we as Christians, if we're honest, sometimes I think we find it difficult to connect our faith with our everyday normal life, right? I think that happens to the best of us. Like, I know I'm a pastor, and I'm supposed to live and eat and breathe this stuff. But I know that somewhere, as you're sitting there, in the back of your mind, something's reminding you that tomorrow, you got to go to work, right? Tomorrow, you have got to go to work. And you're gonna, your alarm clock is going to hit you in the face tomorrow morning. And what happens here is going to seem like it happened on another planet. Get it? Guardians of the Galaxy reference? All right, anyway. So, so what happens this morning is going to seem like it happens on another planet. Like it's easy to get the Jesus thing here because we're, we're singing anthems to God. We got the music. We got this beautiful chapel. We're here with other people who are vibing it, feeling it. So you might be feeling Jesus here, but tomorrow morning you've got work, you've got chores, you've got responsibilities. And sometimes it's difficult to connect what happens here to your Monday morning. But White Oak, if it feels that way for you, hopefully this morning in this passage, we're going to have some relief of that tension. I want to show you how your normal everyday life connects to Jesus Christ. I think that God intends for Jesus not to be something that you just tack on to a busy schedule, but that instead he intends for your faith to breathe life in meaning and joy into everything else that you do. So that's what I want to invite us into this morning. For many people, life seems like a collection of disconnected scenes and of disconnected things, but we're going to see this morning that God connects everything. I've entitled our talk this morning, How God Transforms the Random Parts of Life. And so we've been going through this series called A New Normal, where we talk about how Jesus transforms different parts of our life. And this morning, I want to talk specifically about what Jesus does for the parts of our life that don't seem so spiritual. Right? I mean, we we get reading the Bible, we get prayer, we get going to the church, but what about your work and your hobbies and the load of laundry that you have in the washer that maybe I just reminded you that you need to move to the dryer, right? What about those things? What does God say about those things? Things. And I think he has a lot to say. In fact, I, I, I think if you were to open up, let's just say the New Testament to any random passage, I bet that what you're reading is about something that does not happen on Sunday morning. That in fact, it's probably talking about something that happens in normal everyday life. I believe that God has a lot to say about life. And I would even argue that your faith is meant to be lived out and meant to breathe in your normal everyday life. I want you to imagine this. I want you to imagine if you came here this morning, I want you to imagine taking a really deep breath, right? You just take a deep breath in. Now imagine you tried to hold that breath until next Sunday, right? I mean, you would last like five minutes, right? But what if instead your faith is supposed to be breathed out into your relationships and into your jobs and into your responsibility? And as you parent your kids, this is what God intends, I wonder this morning if you can answer the question, how does your job relate to your Christianity? 
Or think about your favorite hobby. Is it tennis, volleyball, gardening, going to Carbach? I mean, what, what is it? What is your favorite hobby and how does that connect to your faith? Let me ask you another question. If God wants us to constantly think about Jesus and to constantly read the Bible and to constantly sit and just meditate on the deep things of heaven, then why does he give us so many responsibilities in life? Like we've got so much to do on any given day. Why does God do that? Some quick statistics that I found. For the average American with kids, uh, they work 8.8 hours a day. They sleep 7.8 hours a day. They relax 2.5 hours a day, which seems a little high to me, but I'll take it. And so when you add those things together, uh, if you're the average American with kids, you, in a 24-hour period, you have four hours to do everything else. Chores, bills, taking care of kids, getting your driver's license renewed, all these other things that you have to do in a normal day. And I bet you noticed when you started following Jesus, he didn't pull you out of your life, but instead you have the same job, the same hobbies, the same family. And I believe that that was intentional. And I want to try to connect your faith to those things this morning. So if you would, let's look back at our passage here in 2 Corinthians 5, uh, starting in verse 14. And we'll read the, the, the 14 and 15 together here. It says, For the love of Christ controls us. Because we have concluded this, that one has died and therefore all died. And he, being Jesus, died for all that those who live, and this is the kicker part, might no, that they might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. So I want you to notice something here. Paul, the guy who's writing this book to a church back in his day, what Paul is saying is that there are two approaches to life. Right? You've got the old, dying, decaying approach to life, is, which is the approach in which you live a life for yourself, where you live a life where you're a slave to your desires, and where you live a life where you try to just exalt yourself as high as possible in the world. That's the old, dying, decaying way of life. But then Jesus comes in, and he died on the cross, and he rose from the grave, and he not only did that, but he invites us into a new normal, into a new way of life. In verse 15, it says that we might no longer live for ourselves, but for Jesus. So he died for us so that we could live for him. That's a summary of those verses. That's a new framework for understanding your life. So as we try to connect the things in your life that seem unspiritual— I think it really helps to see your faith as a lens through which you view everything else. It's important to see your faith as a lens through which you see every other part of your life. Uh, A quick example. So uh, I'm practically blind. I wear contacts all the time. I got to wear them when I drive and all that kind of stuff. And whenever you go to the optometrist, uh, when you wear contacts, they always ask you to take your contacts off and then to read the letters, right? And I feel like it's just like torture for me because when I take it off, like the room goes dark and I see a fuzzy E in the distance, but I can't get beyond the big E, right? That's the most that I can do when I take my contacts off. But when I put them on, everything comes into clear, sharp focus. And it's the exact same way for the gospel in your life. The gospel is supposed to inform and to bring everything else into focus. And I want to rest here for a second before I talk specifically about your work and your hobbies and your interests, because I think the tendency of you and for me is to compartmentalize our life. So we've got Jesus over here, Sunday morning Jesus, and we're vibing it. 
But then we've got work, and then we've got play, and we've got these, all these other things. And maybe your role as a parent or as a student, and, and, and Jesus is sort of separate from those things. And we are all guilty of this. Let me give you a quick example. Is anyone still on Twitter? John, what did they do? One guy's on Twitter. All right, did anyone used to have Twitter? Like a few people did. Anyway, but I think you can do this on Facebook, so I think it'll be relatable. But anyway, on Twitter, you had to come up with a Twitter bio. And in your Twitter bio, it had to be really relevant. It had to be, like, kitschy. It had to be funny, maybe inspirational, maybe poetic. And you, you can do that on your Facebook profile. If you didn't know that, there's a box, and you can put something in there. And so I, I went to go check out my Twitter profile, and uh, this is what it looks like. This is me. Uh, this is me enjoying some milk tea. You can follow me at James Yandel. But anyway, notice my Twitter bio down there. I have Houston millennial, tennis enthusiast, and Christian. Right? That's what I got. That's my pithy little bio. If someone looks at my page, that's what they're going to know about me. And maybe for you, your bio would be a little bit different, right? Maybe yours is mother, wife, artist, Jesus follower, or whatever it is, whatever yours is, right? And I think that makes for a good bio, but the problem with thinking of yourself in those ways is that a lot of times those different things tend to compete against each other, right? Like when you're just killing it as a parent, uh, you're probably not doing as well at work. So then you, so you got to go focus on work, and all of a sudden work becomes the thing that you're good at, but then you neglect your family. And so all these different areas compete against each other. But what Paul is saying in this passage is that the gospel unifies all the areas in your life under the banner of Jesus Christ. So whereas all these things used to compete against each other, as long as you are putting these things under the lordship of Jesus, they work together to glorify God in this life. So for your bio, if it's mother, uh, wife, mother, artist, Christian, it's not that. It's Christian mother and Christian wife and Christian artists. Those things inform, your Christianity informs who you are in those roles. And I think if you don't see yourself in that way, then you become a slave to your Twitter bio. You become a slave to the different identities that you have for yourself. And the problem with doing that is that just as God gave those things to you, he can take them away, right? And a lot of times when God takes away some of our roles, we have this identity crisis and we realize that we were not putting the gospel and who we are as a child of God first in all those things. So in all these things, your perspective should be from the perspective of a Christian. I'm a Jesus follower and that informs all these other things. And if you're not doing that, then you run into trouble. For me, when I was first starting out as a Christian, one of the most frustrating things about the Bible was it didn't tell me where to work. Right? Is that not just frustrating? The Bible does not tell you the exact job that you need to have. And the Bible doesn't tell you the exact person that you need to marry. I mean, that would be great if you could flip it open. You could, you know, go to a book and it would have it. But it doesn't do that, right? Instead, the Bible tells us what kind of people we should be. The Bible tells us how to go about our roles or in what spirit should we go about the things that we're doing in life. We should do it joyfully. We should do it skillfully. We should do it lovingly. So let's say you're looking at a to-do list and you look at your list and you've got laundry, you've got that one phone call that you need to make that you've been dreading, right? You've got to answer emails, you've got uh, to pick up the kids, all these different things. If you try to add be a good Christian to that list, it's just going to implode. That was not a good idea. But what if instead you used your faith, your Christianity to help you prioritize what is truly important in your life? 
Because if you're not deciding what's important for your life, someone else is going to decide that for you. Amen. That has happened to me so many times. When I don't sit down and when I don't think about what is truly important for me, other people will decide that for me. So the gospel acts as a lens for helping you look at all the different areas of your life. It tells you what is beneficial. It tells you what is not beneficial. It tells you how to live a life of love. And it puts everything else into perspective. So that's sort of the first overarching thesis that I have, is that the gospel is a lens for the rest of your life. Now I want to take that idea and I want to apply it very practically in two ways that you can apply this to your work and your hobbies and your normal everyday life. And I'm going to focus mainly on work and hobbies. And I'm going to go about this at a certain angle, and you'll see what angle I'm going about this at in a minute. And the reason I'm doing that is because I think each one of us in this room have a tendency to either put work as an idol or to put play and leisure and hobbies as an idol. Right? And I'm sure if you were to be honest with yourself, you probably know which camp you fall into, whether you you tend to glorify work or glorify rest and games and leisure and stuff like that. And I'll be honest for myself, I glorify work. I tend to idolize work. If you know me really well, you know I find it really hard to relax. Like, I gotta be productive in some capacity. Even on my days off, I'm like reading a book or something like that because I feel like i got to be doing something. I can't just be sitting and doing nothing. So I want to show us, show us how the Bible informs us in this way. Because if you keep the gospel as the center of your life, if you live a gospel-centered life, it will keep you from having work and play become idols in your life. So let's look back at our passage here in verses 16 and 17, and let's read these one more time. It says, From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh— Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. So he's saying we have a new perspective in life, which is a gospel-centered perspective. We see people, we see our job, we see our hobbies in light of who we are in Jesus. It says, therefore, if we are in Christ, if anyone is Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, and behold, the new has come. So like I said before, what you'll notice is as you follow Jesus, he doesn't call you usually out of the work you're doing. You still got to work. You still got to relax. You still got to have a family. So in all these things, the gospel is supposed to inform us. So the Bible is really clear. Work is good. And I know that's hard to believe because we are in a sin-fallen world, but work is created by God and work's good. It helps us provide for our families. It gives us a way to help other people in this life. I try not to over-spiritualize work. And so if you're wanting me to say where you you need to work, I I can't do that. And the Bible's not going to do that. Work anywhere that is really going to help the world. It really doesn't matter. The problem is, is that it's very easy to make what you do into an idol. Your job can become your identity, right? It's very easy for you to get wrapped up into what your job is and make that who you are as a person. Maybe for you, the problem with your work is you tend to take on more and more hours because you want to get more money. And so you know you should be resting, but you continue to grind and grind and grind day in and day out so that you can accumulate more How about this? How about maybe your work becomes a source of people-pleasing when your boss asks you to come in on Saturday and you don't really want to do it. You know you should be resting, but you don't want to say no, right? You kind of want to get ahead or maybe you just really don't want to displease your boss. I've had that happen to me many times. 
But as we look at work from the lens of the gospel, from a very practical standpoint, the gospel tells us how to put guardrails on good things like work and play. The guardrails tells us how to put guard, uh, the how to put guardrails on good things like work and play. So if you want transformation at your job, and if you want transformation in your life, you have to see it the way God sees it. The old way of looking at work is that work is unlimited. You've got to work hard out there because it is a dog-eat-dog world. If you're not working hard, if you're not grinding to the bone, then someone's going to take it from you, right? That's the narrative that the world has. You've got to work hard out there. But the gospel shows us that the only unlimited thing God gives us is himself. But he puts limits on other things. Look at these two verses. In Deuteronomy 6, 5, God says, You shall love the Lord your God. Does it say with some of your heart, some of your soul? No, it says love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your might. And in Psalm 16, 11, it says, In God's presence there's fullness of joy. At his right hand are pleasures forevermore. So there are no limits on how deeply you can pursue God. As much God as you want, you get. That's what the Bible says. We can pursue him as much as we want to. But what does God say about work? He says, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall do no work. You or your son or daughter, a male or female servant, or your livestock, or the foreigner who is within your gates. So the new normal that Jesus' followers have that's different than everyone else in regard to your work is that we can put a limit on work. And the reason we can do that is because the Bible says that God ultimately takes care of us. He says, seek first the kingdom and all these things will be provided to you. If you're living out there and you're outside of a gospel understanding of the world, you can't say that. So you've got to work as hard as possible. But within the gospel, we know that God takes care of us. And so this morning, as I talk about maybe idolizing work, I have a couple of questions that I want to ask you uh, that are maybe loving and that hopefully will show you whether you veered outside a gospel understanding of your work and your responsibilities. And maybe that's your job, maybe that's you as a mother or as a parent or whatever it is, I want to ask some guardrails here. So first, am I drawn more to work than to people? Am I drawn more to work than to people? This is something that I'm often guilty of. I'm always trying to be productive, and sometimes hanging out with people feels like it's not very productive for me, right? But this is a sign that maybe I'm idolizing work. How about this? Do you find it hard to say no at work? Like, I know that when your boss tells you to do stuff, you ultimately have to do it most of the time, but there comes a point where you say, man, I just can't do this. I am overworked, and I need time to rest. This is what God has told me to do. Do you have the confidence in the gospel to say that? Let me give you a quick story. So I used to work in the Texas Medical Center. And uh, I worked in a hospital helping out with uh, children's cancer research, and uh, it, it, it was just terrible. If you ever worked in a hospital, you know that it is just rough uh, going in there day in and day out. And there were a few of us who did what I did, and there was a girl who was in her job longer than I was, and so she ended up leaving, and my boss approached me, and she said, Hey, I, I want you to take on this girl's role. And you're going to get more money, but it's more stressful, it's more work, and stuff like that. And so what I did, I started out wise, what I did was I went to some people in the church, actually some of you, and I said, hey, do you think I should take this position or not? And every person I asked said, no, I I don't think you should take this position because it sounds like it's going to give you more stress, 
I mean, yeah, you get more money, but it sounds like it's going to pull you away from church and from family and from other things that give you rest. So guess what I did? I took the job. (laughs) I took the job, and it was like the worst year of my life. It was the most stressful year that I've ever had in my life. And I, I think God ultimately worked it out because I'm standing here before you today. But I think that that was a sign that I was not looking at my work from a gospel lens. I was looking at work from a lens of how can I get the most out of this life. And then lastly here, do I fear what will happen if something doesn't get done? Man, this is for us type A people. What happens when something doesn't get done? Can we rest in that? So if your answer is yes to any of these questions, then I want to lovingly invite you back into trusting God with your life. That, that, that maybe, and I'm not trying to judge you because I'm here often, but maybe you veered off into the old way of understanding your responsibilities. And even for things outside of work, like being a mother, I mean, are you putting your kids in like every sporting event that they can be into? Are you okay with saying that they don't have to be in all of it? The gospel reminds you that God is going to take care of you. And God puts limits on work so that you don't get burned out. And so that you don't derive and fall into sin. And just as you can ask questions about work, you can also ask the same about hobbies. Hobbies are not bad. God meant for us to enjoy his creation. I feel like when you start following Jesus, people think that he's going to call you out of your hobbies and be like, stop doing everything that you enjoy and go read the Bible all day. And obviously, that's not what ultimately happens. God wants us to enjoy this life. But I feel like for some of us, we're more prone not toward work, but toward idleness, right? And the Bible talks a lot about being idle and having nothing to do and how that can be a very dangerous thing. So let's go over some gospel guardrails for hobbies. First, do I use hobbies to avoid work? Do I use hobbies to avoid work? Do I find myself uh, just enjoying myself and trying to avoid the things and the responsibilities that God has for me? How about this? Do I, indul- uh, do I indulge in hobbies to relieve stress? So what I mean by that is there is a way to go about the things you enjoy that puts you on autopilot, right? You use your hobbies as like an anesthesia for the stress that you know is coming the next day. And let me give you an example of that. A few weekends ago, man, I'm ashamed to say this, but a few weekends ago, I was, uh, it was a Saturday, and I was watching Netflix, and I found this new series that I really enjoyed, and... Uh, Man, I downed two seasons of that in one day. I mean, it was like a, it was a binge-watching uh, eight-hour marathon that I have never probably experienced before in my life. And then after that, I went to Denny's and I got bottomless pancakes. It was just a, it was just a, a downward spiral, you know. But, but the reason I was doing that was because I was placating myself because I knew the next week was going to be really stressful for me. And the reason that's sinful is that in the Bible, God says to go to him when you're anxious, right? And when you're stressed out. That yes, uh, play and leisure, those things are supposed to help us relax. But ultimately, God says, come to me, you who are weary and heavy laden, and seek that rest in me and not in these other things. And then lastly, are my hobbies keeping me from spending time with my family? This is a good indicator that maybe you veered off too much into leisure and into play. And so I, I wanted to spend some time on these before we get to our last application point. I wanted to spend some time on these because I feel like when you have these boundaries in place in your life, 
and you know that work is not supposed to be unlimited, so you've carved out time in your week to rest and not work all the time. And when you know that play and leisure and hobbies are not supposed to be unlimited, that they have their place, but they're not supposed to take over your life, when you have those healthy rhythms in place, I think you are much more likely to adopt the second and last application, which is the idea that the gospel makes work and play avenues for spreading gospel wonder. The gospel makes work and play avenues for spreading gospel wonder. Like I said, Jesus does not take you out of your life. Jesus gives your life more meaning. And the way that he does that is that he gives us a new mission. Check out our last two verses in our passage here this morning, verses 18 and 19. He says, All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself, meaning he gave us the gospel and now we're reconciled. And then it says, And he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. So God gives a deeper meaning to your work and God gives a deeper meaning to your hobbies and that in those things you are called to live out the example of Jesus Christ, inviting other people into the joy that you have with him. People in the world can't say that about work and play. Work and play in the world are ends unto themselves. But in the gospel, work and play are ends into glorifying Christ. Like not all of us are going to be missionaries overseas, but all of us are called to be missional in this life. That we have a purpose in spreading the joy of Jesus Christ. Jesus breathes life into your work by giving it a deeper meaning and the same for your hobbies. So Jesus makes it so that no area of your life is random. That as long as you're doing it in the spirit of glorifying God, that you are, are, you're doing exactly what you need to be doing. The Bible says, do all things to the glory of God. The gospel makes work and play avenues for spreading gospel wonder. So a quick recap. I started out by saying that the gospel gives you a lens through which you can look at the world. And then I said you can apply that practically by putting limits on your work and on your play. And I gave you some helpful questions maybe to ask whether you veer too far off. And lastly, I'm going to say that work allows you a place to spread the gospel, to invite people to church, to live out and be an example in this. So as we draw to a close this morning, I want to share a sentence with you guys that came to my mind during this week. And uh, whenever I have quiet times, it doesn't, they're not always like awesome. God doesn't always open the heavens and just speak down at me, right? And the same for you, I'm sure. Uh, but when I had this quiet time, a sentence came to my mind that took my breath away. And I hope that this sentence will help you as much as it has helped me. And as we talk about work and play in the different parts of your life this morning, I think it's easy to forget this. The idea that Christians are the freest people on the planet. Christians are the freest people on the planet. And I want you to just rest on that thought for a second. If you're a follower of Jesus, you are among the freest people on the planet. And what I mean by that is this. Think about what the Bible promises you. It says no matter what happens in this life that you are going on to paradise to be with God forever... It says work, but don't worry about whether you're going to be able to provide or to eat because God takes care of you. The Bible says if you sin, all your sins are forgiven. 
Bible says God will take care of your needs. Jesus says don't worry about anything in this life. And you are free from all the different things that all those people out there without Jesus struggle with. We are the freest people on the planet. And so the question becomes, how are you using your freedom? How are you using your freedom? I invite you to use your freedom in this life in a way that loves and helps others because that's exactly what Jesus did. You think that we're free? Jesus is the freest being in the universe. Everything he does, he does out of his own heart and what he wants to do. And yet when Jesus came down, obviously, did he live for himself or no? He lived for other people. And as a result of that, as a result of suffering for our sake, we have been made right with God. That's the power of a life lived in freedom and service to other people. And so I invite you into that same freedom. That when Jesus came, there was a seismic disturbance in the universe, a paradigm shift that altered life as we knew it. And I encourage you to walk in that new life this week. Your work, your hobbies, your relationships, and all these things, Christ has breathed a new significance. And I hope that you use that to glorify him. So I want to pray that over us this week that we would make decisions from a gospel-centered point of view and not from a world-centered point of view. But also, I just want to pray that God would speak over you this morning and that he would give you the rest that you seek in the gospel. So let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, without you, life was a fog. Without you, life was a fog of randomness, of incoherence, of not knowing what happens in the afterlife or in this life, Lord. And yet Jesus has come and has shown us the way. Jesus has said he's the way and the truth and the life and we have a crystal clear vision of what life is about now. So I pray for each and every person in this room, Lord, that where we have fallen, that you would forgive us but that you would empower us by your spirit to live a life of joy no matter where we are at and where you have placed us. May we follow you and pursue you in this life, Lord, and may you speak tenderly over us this morning. We love you, and it's in the name of Jesus Christ that we pray. Amen.